0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Welcome to the Oakshape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's going on? Hopefully you are living well and staying strong and focused. Off-season, man, it's a long one, especially if you're an elk hunter exclusively. You just, you got to put it in the work, stay on your grind. I want to talk about today's podcast. We're going to sit down with Alex Miller. He attended an elk Shape camp in 2020. He's got two elk seasons under his belt now. We're going to sit down and kind of do some after-action report answer some of his specific questions. I think you will get a lot out of this because you may have some of the questions that he has. And overall, Alex is just a salt of the earth kind of human being. Um, before we get into that, let's do some Q&As from Instagram. Let's cover some frequently asked questions, address comments that I get uh, on YouTube, as well as address messages that I get on Instagram. This is a great platform To bend your ear and to put it all out there. So let's talk about the Floyd Lee New Mexico thing. If you never heard that podcast, never saw the episode on YouTube, don't worry about it. But I'm not going to go back over it because I feel like I've beat it to death. But everyone wants to know. So what happened? I don't know. I never followed up with the fishing game guy after I got home. I got busy and honestly don't care. I knew that I was doing my part by filming a fake security guard kick us off public land that we had every right to be there we did leave I was cool about it I wasn't even mean to the guy probably if I didn't have a cameraman I would have been way meaner but I knew it was uh being filmed and so I was very cordial and nice and we went the next day to town called fishing game talked to the officer he said send me a pen and then he looked it up and he said let me check with the land commission. And then he called us back and said, you have every right to hunt there. That is public land. Nobody has a lease at all on that state land. So the folks from whatever entity that were kicking us off and the other hunters and telling us that we couldn't be there, it was private property and to go check with Floyd Lee, that was all BS. They were trying to keep us off public land because they had clients that they wanted to hunt the same elk. Uh, The guy in the video the security guard dude passed away. Like he died in December, 2021 of COVID. He's not going to get a charge because he's not alive anymore. All I know is that a bunch of people saw the video, like over a hundred thousand views and we handled it as best as we could. People were making comments like you should have gone back there and hunted. Uh, maybe I should have, but I tell you what, I didn't want the drama. So as far as the second follow-up video to that, where I shot a bull, I already talked about it on this podcast, but yeah, I shot the bull 67 yards or something like that. I can't remember the exact yardage, but the bull moved when the string broke. And so the arrow looks like it goes into his guts. It doesn't. He turned so sharply that it went into probably through the liver and definitely got lung, one lung for sure. And then the broad head broke off inside of him. I only had one hole, but he was bleeding mostly out of his mouth which means lungs, and I probably pierced his pleural cavity, his diaphragm. So we had lung blood all over the place, crazy blood trail, and it didn't dry up. We stayed on it until it got dark. We backed out, came back the next day, and then we couldn't find really that much blood. And then when we finally found some, we needed to get Hunter to the airport. Hindsight was, we should have just said, screw it, Hunter. Let's just stay an extra day and find this dead bull. But we tried to get him to the airport on time and he missed his flight. I have a friend who lives down there and I send him all my tracks and the pins. He's going to go look for that bull and see if it died. Tell you what, you can... um, On on YouTube, there's some really terrible comments that uh, I'm a shitty shot or I should have taken that shot. That shot is one I would take all day, every day that's in my effective range. The bull move. Bulls can move if they're at 20 yards, 25 yards, 30 yards. They can move. They can spin. They can react. That bull was just moving on his own. And I wish the shot had broken about a half second earlier because if you slow down the footage, which we've done in post and really looked at it, the thing was headed right for his heart. Uh, But he moved. And we debated whether or not to show the wound at all on YouTube. But then we also, like— we hear about how hunters never show how it really goes down on YouTube. They just show highlight reels. And one thing we've done on our YouTube channel is showed how freaking hard it is to kill an elk on public land or any elk for that matter. And that just because I do elk shape camps and have elk hunted a long time doesn't mean that I'm going to make it look easy because it's there's just nothing to it that's easy. If anything, I'm going to make it look hard and show how hard I try. But uh, yeah, follow up to that video in those comments is – I don't know if charges were ever pressed. I just know the game warden told us what I told you guys and that he said he was going to drive up there the next day to the ranch, talk and confront the actual outfitters. And he was going to get statements from the six other public land hunters that got harassed. Uh, To me, it's a black and white hunter harassment charges, but uh, we'll see. The bottom line is though, people saw it and it's on their radar and that's good. Because maybe those guys won't do that to other people. And, um, you know, there are instances where state land can be leased in other states like Colorado. I understand that, but I knew darn sure that 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 was fishy from the word go. Um, What else? Okay, so the Public Land Hustle series in Arizona. Uh, I got a lot of comments that you can't use cell phone trail cameras in Arizona. Obviously, you cannot use cell phone trail cameras uh, or any trail camera in Arizona starting in 2022. The good news is, is I know the rules. I read them before I went down there. We had cameras out that were only taking pictures and going to the SD card. We were in canyons that had no cell phone service, and those... cameras were not doing any transmissions. And if somebody submits the video to Fish and Game in Arizona, they're going to be wasting their time because they can go and look at my transmission plan. I never got a single picture from a cell phone trail camera because there was no cell phone service. And those cameras still work like a normal trail camera. They take pictures and save them to the memory card. And if you watch the video series closely, we were going to check cameras quite often because that's the only way we knew what was on them so I'm not making a big deal about it but uh, you see the comments and you're like look guys we're not getting transmissions we we know it may look like we're using cell phone trail cameras but they're actually just regular cameras we do not overlook the rules we definitely take them very serious and uh, Arizona series if you haven't seen it check it out it's it's actually a really fun exciting hunt And at the time of this recording, Arizona is open for draws 2022. Get your application in, buy your hunting license and put in. Put in for late archery. I don't think you should. I would save your points because Arizona is an awesome state. The way they changed the rules recently where, man, your first and second choice are the only ones that really matter. And you can swing for the fences. So put in for a rut tag. They don't hold all the tags to the highest point holders. They do 50%. So let's say there's a hundred tags available in unit nine. Okay. Well, 10% are set aside for non-resident or up to. So let's say that's 10 tags for non-resis. Five of those 10 are going to go to the most point holders. And the other five are completely random. If... I had a choice. I would want to hunt Arizona in the rut. It would probably be a dream hunt. It would be unreal. The late season is super hard and challenging. And if you don't have a lot of experience with just getting your teeth kicked in, then sign up for it if that's what you want. Otherwise put in for a rut tag for sure I get a lot of questions about hey Dan what arrows are you using in 2022 well I have two different types of arrows that I'm messing with right now black eagle x impacts four millimeters and then my go-to rip tko those are five millimeters I've used Easton axis in the past and those are really good arrows and they're hard hitting but um, they're all real good and different strokes for different folks I do like the four mil in the sense of I think it does penetrate a little bit better or hits a little bit harder it's It's a little more resistant to wind. Um, So it's a really good tack arrow. Uh, The TKOs have been really good to me as well. I haven't decided what I'm going to use this year, but I'm tinkering with both. Let's tackle some of your guys' Instagram questions. I put on stories, hey, ask me anything. Obviously, I I couldn't get to all of them. I was overwhelmed, but I got to quite a few, and I'm going to take the podcast and use it to answer all the ones that I didn't get to, and maybe some of the ones that... I did answer there. So here we go. Which tack events do you plan to visit this year? Definitely Big Sky in Montana, and most likely San Antonio, Texas, and possibly a Salt Lake City one, if I can get down to there. Next question was, Solo El hunting. which state should I go, Oregon or Idaho? I live in California. Either is fine. I think Western Oregon is over the counter, which is awesome. And you can go chase Rosie's, and I think you'll have a good chance of getting into elk, and they bugle pretty early there. Uh, Idaho, you probably already missed the boat. You better have a tag by now, Uh, and we talk about this on the upcoming podcast. This guy says he's a smaller guy, 5'5", 150. What size of dirt bike would I recommend? He's never owned one. I would get a 200, a 250, Uh, Somewhere in there, four-stroke, air-cooled is my preference for hunting. If you're looking for having fun, then look at KTMs and maybe get like a a KTM 300 or something. But uh, that's what I would do. Thoughts on the new predator hunting legislation happening across a few states? Well, listen, this isn't new. This happens every year. And so that's why you should probably invest in Sportsman's Alliance They're always fighting these cases in courts and litigation and researching and things like that. So my thoughts is nothing's changed. It's just that social media – one positive is that it shines a bright light on this stuff and everyone gets informed and everyone's invited to take action, to send letters, to write emails, to pick up the phone and call senators or legislators or what have you. There's a lot of good resources out there. I do like Sportsman's Alliance. Go to their website, check them out, support them if you feel called to. I'm having a hard time holding steady at 60 yards. I'm all over the place. Tips to help. Uh, check out your bow stabilizers. Uh You know, shoot your bow, film it from the side, see if it tends to go forward or if it tends to go back and tinker with the weight in the front, maybe a sidebar to offset the quiver. Hire a coach, get some technique. You know, archery is all about being a robot and be able to repeat the same thing day after day, rep after rep. I have a home gym. I need to strengthen my legs up. Recommend workouts. Yeah, I do recommend workouts. Are you asking which specific workouts? The back squat is king. I like weighted step ups, whether it's a pack on, I like it. A barbell in the front rack, a 20 inch box. Um, step ups are awesome. Single leg squats without weight if you have okay knees, but uh, lunges, reverse, forward from a deficit, Romanian deadlifts, goblet squats. I mean, anything legs, every day's leg day. I hope that helps. 27 inch draw, 65 pound weight. 405 grain arrow good setup good for what i don't know man um it sounds fine uh hopefully you're shooting a sharp fixed broadhead but shoot it test it tinker it you can definitely go heavier i wouldn't go lighter is there any certain reasons you don't seem to like hunting colorado i've killed a bull in colorado archery uh i like colorado but i don't like it's pretty crowded there, honestly. And the unlimited over-the-counter tag thing kind of bothers me. I'd rather see more like one point to participate, kind of bring down the crowding, but competition brings out in the best of ev- in everyone. The bottom line is I have to drive past a lot of elk to hunt Colorado. And so it's not that special of a place for me. And I'm building points in Colorado. I'm like 16 points deep. I'm trying to draw something decent. Although In the early days, I I had my eyes on the northwest corner and then I dropped down to unit 76 and then I dropped down to unit 49. And because of point creep, that's where a lot of people with more points than me give up and try to go for an easier unit to draw. It makes it so – my points are almost worthless. I got to just play the long game, let people draw out or die, and I'll get my chance. When can I shoot with you and the boys? Anytime, buddy. Anytime. Just send me a message on Instagram. We shoot quite often. What do you do if your archery shop treats your bow like a piece of beep and doesn't set it up right? Learn how to set up your own equipment. That's what I would do. Buy a bow press, get on the interwebs, start working on your own equipment, and you're going to screw it up. And you're going to run into things that you can't fix. Hopefully you can find a mentor in your area to kind of oversee and teach you. Um, I started working on my own bows just a couple years ago. I've learned so much because of that. And I have a great mentor, MFJJ. I'm going to get him on the podcast, by the way. When are you announcing the winner of the bow? All right, guys. So go to my YouTube channel. Watch the video that says win my bow. Uh, Follow the prompts. I'm giving away my V327 to a lucky subscriber of the YouTube channel. I want to obviously get more subscribers. We're getting close to 50 50,000, but more importantly, I want to give that bow to somebody deserving. It's super free to enter. Uh, check that out. We're going to give it away in a couple weeks. Uh, we had at least 1200 people enter the first day. So it's not like, uh, it's going to be a completely random draw, but um, follow the prompts, go to the YouTube, check it out. And hopefully somebody, hopefully the right person wins the bow. That's what I want to see. Running versus backpack training for the mountains, which has best carryover in your opinion? Do you run when you're hunting? Maybe you do, but I don't. I would say backpack training is greater than running. Uh, Running is pretty hard on your joints, especially the older you get. I actually enjoy running. I'm kind of good at it, so I don't spend a lot of time on it. I'm pretty bad or weak when it comes to power output, the assault bike, heavy, reps between one and three reps. So I spend a lot of time working on my weakness. I would say ultimately, if you're trying to get ready for the mountains, a mix of functional fitness, cross training, maybe you run once a week, maybe you backpack once a week, maybe you hit the weights and you blur the distinction between weights and cardio and keep your intensity up. Less is more. It's more about your output than just checking a box every day. What is your favorite thing about the new V3X? Uh, I like the size of the 29 ATA, axle-to-axle. Axle. Uh, I like how everything is pretty much streamlined. You can run a sight through the middle of the riser. The low-pro quiver fits super tight. Uh, the bow just balances really well. It's the best Matthews I've shot, and I'm not just saying that. And I have a lot of reps with it. I was using the V3X29 starting in August this year. was able to shoot my antelope, a handful of whitetails, two bulls, and... Yeah, just a great bow. What's the best workout or movements for increasing your endurance for hunting? Yeah. Um I like high-intensity pieces the best, to be honest with you. It's not the long, slow distance. That stuff's good, and it has a place, but the high-intensity stuff seems to give you more of a dividend for creating uh, work capacity in the mountains and mental toughness. So whatever that means to you, more work in the least amount of time. Don't overlook box step-ups because they just, they're just they not going to go out of style. Here's another Colorado one. I know you have um, – pooped on Colorado archery elk before what other option would you recommend for noobs Colorado's a great option because you are hunting and it's fairly close to the Midwest it's kind of that central hub state has the most elk um, doesn't have a ton of wolves yet, but that number is going to go up, obviously. Other good states would be like Utah has great over-the-counter elk hunting. Some of those are cow and spike only uh, in premier units, but you're going to hear bugling and study elk and get a great experience. Western Oregon is still over-the-counter. Idaho technically still is over-the-counter. Arizona will have some over-the-counter options, believe it or not, but they're not that good of hunts. Uh, all in all, those are good. Your best bet is to build points in Montana and Wyoming, Nevada. Your best bet is to bust out your checkbook and buy a landowner tag, but all in all, um, Colorado is still going to be your best bet for over the counter opportunity. What is my 2022 elk arrow selection? I haven't selected yet. It'll be between the X impact and the rip TKO best over the counter elk hunts. Just talked about it. Do you write your own programming or do you follow something specific? I write my own programming. I know my weaknesses. I put them at the forefront. Whenever I need to be like checked, I'll talk to like a local coach and have them write me up some programming. That way it's not biased and that way I'm still addressing weaknesses. But all in all, I generally have a good idea what I suck at and I put that at the top of the list why Matthews over Hoyt. Hoyt's great. I obviously shot with them for several years. They're a great company. I love the people there. Um, I really like Evan Williams. He's a, actually a friend of mine. Um, Jeremy Eldridge. I love him. He's a great human being, but Matthews just gets elk shape, man. They understand what I'm doing. They support what I'm doing. They're a Christian company and I like their values. I love their bows. I shoot them well. I think they're at the top of the list. And, um, I'm not changing. Are you going to try target archery? No, I'm not. I'm a bow hunter through and through. I don't have the capacity to make that a priority. I'm already shooting my bow, for bow hunting prep, training, working out, e-scouting, studying, trying to make myself better. Oh yeah, and I'm a husband and a dad and I have a career. So, no, I don't have the I don't want to make the time for that. Cause something else would have that would be a trade off that I'm not willing to make. What veins do you recommend for the annihilator broadheads? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, the AEE max stealth, what I use, maybe AEE hybrids, maybe blazers, uh, maybe you know the tack veins. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I couldn't get those broadheads to fly the way I wanted past 80, but man, 80 and under those things are solid, and I like the design. Maybe I'll get a chance to use them on a hunt down the road. Do I recommend shooting the tack knock on course or stick with courses that are more realistic that like 70 yards and under? It just depends on your ability. I would do the course that's going to challenge you the most, but that you're not going to lose all your arrows. And I haven't seen, I didn't even see a knock on course at the big sky uh, tack last year. So I'm not sure if that's offered at every tack, but just do you man, do you best substitute exercise for a rower or air bike. Uh, he said he can't run outside. It's negative 20. I would say burpees or double unders. What kind of battery packs do you use for self-filming? I use a solar charger and several battery brick banks. And while I'm gone hunting, I have my solar charger, you know, it up the next battery bank. And I just kind of keep swapping those out uh, and also bring a generator at base camp. Just found out not long ago about you. Uh, do you have any podcast about, uh, breaking down budgeting for hunting? We have several episodes about money, fiscal fitness, look that up. Uh, Jeff Bynum comes on. I'm always down to talk about money, you guys, because I think it's really important to be a time chaser, not a money chaser. I think it's really important that if you're obsessed with elk hunting like I am, that you have an employment that is conducive. And if it's not, then that you need to figure out a side hustle uh, that could potentially turn into your main hustle and that you have autonomy in your schedule. Enjoyed the podcast last week, Uh, just had vegetables at breakfast for the first time in a long time today. Well, good job. That's awesome. Veggies are, you know, try to have, try to eat a rainbow a day. Try to have vegetables at every food encounter. What's my thoughts on intermittent fasting? I think it's trending. I think it works for some people, but I don't know if it works for everyone. And I'm not convinced that you can do it long-term or if it's sustainable. So I don't know if I condone it. Uh, I like some of the principles, but again, having a scheduled eating time and all that, you know, time between, can you do it? Consistently, or will you slip up? And I think you got to look at your long term trajectory and do what's going to be sustainable. What's the best bow case you have used? I really like the Pelican. I really like SKB. I have both. I don't have a winner. They're both pretty good. Do you calorie count meals, or do you have a good balanced diet and train every day? I train five, six days a week. I do take days off. Lately, it's been four on, one off, one on, one off, repeat. I don't count calories, although I do track macros periodically. Right now, I'm hitting 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat, and I do that between four to five meals, and that's what I do, but my goal is to gain some muscle back from losing quite a bit while elk hunting. Um, we got a great video we're dropping I actually, now we dropped on, on Sunday last week. So go to YouTube and look at our macros video. I spent a lot of time making that one because I knew that video needed to be out there for people to be able to absorb and have as an asset. So check that video out. Any tips for finding places to shoot indoors, outdoors around the city? No, I, I don't have tips, but at my house, I have two acres. I can shoot out to 100. I've spoke with every neighbor. They understand where I shoot, when I shoot, uh, there's no questions there. I wouldn't shoot in your backyard without talking to your neighbors, even if there's a great backstop like I have, just so that there's no misunderstanding. Also, I sell a mini elk target on my website from Reinhardt. That is one of the best things to shoot at if you're an elk hunter. It makes it really realistic and it's small and you even shooting it at 20 yards makes it feel like you're shooting at 40. It's really cool. Aim small, miss small. Are you satisfied with the new Matthews bow? Yes, it's the best Matthews to date, in my opinion. The best way to improve mobility without devil yoga? Oh, man, that is a great question. There's a really good app called Gowad. I would check that out. Uh, It's free until it's not. And they have some good little routines in there that you can do to really improve your mobility and it, it doesn't feel like you're doing yoga. Intermittent fasting, yay or nay, already answered that. Kind of like in between, maybe, uh, if it work if it makes sense and if it's sustainable. Is buying the new Matthews worth the investment long term? Uh, I don't know what you currently are shooting. I don't see this bow going out of style anytime soon. And I see more archery accessory manufacturers adjusting to this new technology of the bridge lock. So yeah, I think it's a good investment uh, as long as you pay cash, you don't go into debt and that you have your priorities in check. What's your daily diet usually consist of week and weekend? So for breakfast, I usually have about a cup and a half of cooked oatmeal with three egg whites. And two eggs scrambled on top with about a quarter cup of milk and a little bit of honey or brown sugar. Um, And then I have a smoothie around middle of the day that's a lot of spinach, like probably two cups of spinach, ice, uh, a cup of blueberries, a scoop of peanut butter powder, a scoop of wellness athlete protein, and then one tablespoon of peanut butter. Uh, And I'll use, usually I'll use regular milk, like 1% milk, and I'm not, I don't have any dairy issues, but... That's lunch and then I work out usually sometimes mornings but sometimes afternoons as of late. And so I'll do a post-workout in the evenings, uh, probably like 5 o'clock. I'll do um, like brute force – I'm sorry, like a brute uh, post-workout from Wilderness Athlete and then I'll have dinner which is usually – eight to 10 ounces of steak, um, some sort of clean carb like yams or quinoa and a pile of veggies. And then this is the funny thing about me that only people know who listen to the podcast. I have a bowl of brand cereal every night of my life uh, around 7.30 p.m. And that's my little treat. And that's what I've been doing lately. Now that I'm trying to gain a little bit more, I've had to add one more meal in there to hit my macros. And so lately that's been some sort of like five to six ounces of turkey breast on a like a wrap, like a low carb wrap, with, you know, some sort of romaine lettuce, no mayo, just mustard, no cheese. Uh, and then sometimes I'll snack on a little bit of like an apple and deer jerky, but You know, It's been tough for me to hit 3,300 calories a day, and you can see why. It's a lot, and so things that I can do is add an extra scoop in my post-workout. I've been taking creatine lately as well, and I use that just post-workout, just a monohydrate, and that's what I do. I just purchased your elk-shaped workout. Thank you for creating a program like this. That's awesome, man. I do – I do have programs, 20 for 20, 30-day dumbbell sandbag, 30-day abs, 21-days uh, elk shape, 90-days of freedom, and I got this new program that I've been working on. I wrote it about a month ago, but I wanted to film and test every workout, so I'm like halfway. I got... Oh, 15 more to film. So every workout in the PDF that you buy, first off, when you buy a program, it's a PDF. So it's yours to keep. It doesn't expire. And then I put private video links in there so that you can watch the workouts. And that's what takes the longest is filming and editing and uploading and making sure that the workouts make sense. But I figured a lot of people like visual perspicuity. They like to see the workouts done before they go and do them and that's important to me i could just write programs up without the videos it'd be a lot faster but i don't think it's thorough and that's why i do it i've never shot a hand release thumb or tension to start with that's a great question um maybe attention just to like work on the muscles and the kinesthetic awareness of what that shot break should feel like because you can still punch a thumb pretty easy but uh there's some really good tensions out there. We have a video coming up uh, next week uh, on YouTube where I shoot the Evolution, and I also shoot a stand tension, and I really like that Carter Evolution 20. Check it out. Carter Wise Choice versus Carter Too Simple. Which do you prefer and why? I have both. They're the same release, the same sear setup. It's just the the Wise Choice has a little circle thing on it, and I like that just a little bit better just the way it fits, but they're li- literally the same release so either way whatever one's cheaper maybe how tall of box for doing step-ups i typically use a 20 inch a 24 inch for my short legs sucks but maybe i should go to 24 best go-to workouts on the road yeah bring your body and a jump rope and you can do burpees and double unders you can do push-ups and sit-ups air squats all sorts of fun good stuff and you mix that jump rope in between sets double under single unders and you're golden what's your favorite hunt to date what state, who did you go with, how did it go? I love that Washington State uh, Blues tag I drew in 2011 with my dad. He went down there. He didn't have a tag, but we went in on horseback, and um, there was a huge wildfire that happened when we were down there. It actually made us move camps, and that was just a, a really big chore in a wilderness to move your camp. You had to go back out to a trailhead, drive all around the other side of the unit, and then uh, the guy we were with who had horses, his horses got colic, so we ended up hiking in. I ended up killing a bull, um, probably one of my better bulls, like on day eleven. And then the, since the horses were gone, we had to pack that bull out of the wilderness. It was like the worst pack out ever. And then a bunch of drama happened. Uh, I don't have time to go over it here, but it ended up being one of my most memorable hunts and one of the hardest pack outs. And Yeah. How do you go about asking companies to work with your brand? You know, that's a great question. I've been in the industry since 2006. So I've pretty much met a lot of the people at trade shows in person. That's totally helped. And I've been consistently like putting out content for a long time. Uh, If there's ever companies I want to work with, I typically reach out to them and say, hey, Uh, I'm more than happy to buy your products. I want to test them out. I will deliver you some assets, but I also want you to know this is year one. I'm just kind of testing you guys out, and you can test me out. But if you like what we do after a year, let's talk shop. And that's been a good way to go about it. And for me personally, the less companies I work with, the better. Then I can focus more on promoting them and really digging in and having a good solid reciprocal Uh, relationship and less is more. When's the new McGee review coming now that you've used it for a full season? Well, that's why we love the podcast. I love the pursuit pants. They really hit it out of the park with those. They got the knee pads that you can take in or take out. Uh, They fit really well. You can order the exact size, like I'm 31 30 and that's what I like or 30 30. Uh, So you can really get the exact waistline that you that you like. They fit well. They feel athletic. The Renegade tops are awesome, especially the quarter zip. I still like the Gunnison hoodie. That's not new, but it's just a nice, good mid-layer. And they have the Alpha Verdicts vest and then the jacket. The jacket's my absolute favorite piece they've ever made. And then the Palisade Puffy I live in because I'm skinny and I get cold easy and I, it's very packable. So man, Numa did a, a bang up job this year. Remember, I got a discount code. It's a one time use, I believe. So it's Elk Shape Twenty takes twenty percent off. Make it a good order, and uh, let me know what you guys think. Shooting off the riser using your Elk Shape side plates. Does it feel like it lengthen your draw length? No, it didn't. And if you did, just shorten your D loop up a little bit. I'm trying to gain weight. What is the best way to gain weight but also have cardio endurance? Well, you definitely want to keep your training stimulus. We'll, we'll decide if you have cardio, so make sure you're doing high-intensity bouts as well as some long, slow distance and some good strength training. But watch our YouTube video on macros. I use myself as an example and my numbers, and I show you how to calculate based on your body type, if you're an ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, uh, and then what your goal is. So that video is out. You guys, go watch it, support it. Give it a thumbs up, like. Make sure you're subbed to our channel. I bust my ass on on YouTube, when you're backpack, over the counter elk hunting, what time of day do you start moving? Um, that's a really vague question. So here's what I will tell you. I don't stop moving till I find elk. And that means if it's dark and I don't have elk, I'm going to be out on ridges bugling. I'm going to be literally sending out locators all night long. Even if that means sleeping in the next day because I found elk, then I'll make up for sleep then. But um, I'll go nocturnal when the elk won't talk. I need to be an elk to kill elk. I need to be into elk to kill elk. I don't like, like when I was in New Mexico this year, finding elk was so hard. I covered that unit like you've never seen. And man, there it was hit and miss. So you just have to hustle and get your sleep where when appropriate. And it's not a bad thing to sleep during the daylight if that means that you're spending more time finding elk at night with a bugle tube, knowing that you're going to have productive daylight hours in the morning and get some sleep in the afternoon when the elk are in their bedroom or what, however you want to do it. But bottom line is you need to find out to kill elk. Any exercise that you found that helped you be a better archer other than practicing, yes, crossover symmetry. That is the band set. They have protocols. You can do crossover symmetry two or three times a week like I do. It'll keep your injury potential down. It'll improve your draw strength. It'll keep your shoulders very sturdy. And I have a discount code. It is elk shape. It takes 20% off. Go check out Crossover Symmetry. Get a halo band as well for your hips. That'll help prevent knee pain. And it comes with a lot of tutorials on how to use them. Super user-friendly. And you can travel with your Crossover Symmetry set. And that's a great thing to set up anywhere in a hotel, wherever that you are, and take care of your shoulders. Last but not least, do you focus on strength or hypertrophy? This far out from elk season, I never focus on hypertrophy. I don't care about having giant, round muscle bellies. I don't care about rep ranges of nine to 12 with time under tension. I don't care about having big arms. I care about having the strong, powerful muscles that are exposed to several different training modalities and durations. I want to be good in that power zone and that. I want to be good in that intermediate zone. I want to be really good in that endurance zone. So you have to like hit it from all different angles. I don't chase aesthetics. I chase performance. Although I don't mind the aesthetics that I've gotten from chasing performance. Uh, I'm not the kind of guy who's built to enter a bodybuild competition. I'm more of like you're well-rounded, do a little bit of everything. For example, if you want to do 400 meter sprints or 100 meter sprints, I'm with you. If you want to do 800 meter repeats or one mile repeats or run a 10k or a 20k or a 30k I want to be able to participate in any of those events and do well not exceptionally well but just do well and be able to do it day in and day out because elk hunting is one big long grind All right, guys, let's get into the podcast with Alex Miller. That was fun to kind of catch you up behind the scenes. I appreciate your support. You know I do. You have a lot of options. There's so many podcasts out there. I want this one to be impactful and that you get a lot out of each one and it's worth your while. Separations in the preparation. Here we go. Black Rifle Coffee Company, established in 2014. Veteran-owned, proudly American. They support two-way. They support hunting. And coffee is life if you're just like me. Head over to blackriflecoffee.com. Click the Coffee Club, enter the discount code Elkshape, save 15% and have fresh, new flavors of coffee delivered to your doorstep every month. Wilderness Athlete. I met the founder in 2006. I've been in love with this company ever since. They make a tremendous amount of products, not only for in the field, but during the off-season when you're training, and they got you covered when it comes to supplementing your nutritional intake. Look no further than the Hydrate Recover, whether you want to get tubs or the packets, Energy and Focus, meal Replacements, Daily Strength Protein, Brute Force Pre-Workouts, Caffeine-Free and with Stimulant, Altitude Advantage, Joint Advantage, Omega-3 Fish Oil, and a bunch more head over to wildernessathlete.com. And if you've never bought anything from them before, make sure you enter the discount code Elk Shape 30 to save 30% off your first purchase. Vortex Optics proud partner since 2010. Everything from rifle scopes, binoculars, rangefinders, Vortex wear and backed with their VIP warranty. Unlimited, unconditional. You break it, they'll fix it. Veteran-owned, proudly American. Head over to VortexOptics.com Check out their Vortex wear. Fit for everywhere. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. Take 20% off your scouting, everyday wear, clothing and thank you Vortex for supporting Elkshape for over 10 years. Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GP. PS app, you should join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx, including myself, to find more honey holes, discover new access, and to be confident and know where you stand. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 20% off an elite membership. Get all 50 states, be able to scout from a desktop and your phone. Everything syncs. You can go to 3D mode. Onyx Hunt is the cornerstone to all of my public land hunting success. Check it out at onxmaps.com. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. Buck Knives has a wide variety of blade sharpness, lengths, finish, materials, whether they're serrated, carry systems, handle material, engravable, so many different accessories. Buck Knives has been in the game since 1902. They have a forever warranty, and they proudly support Elk Shape. We ask that you check out BuckKnives.com and proudly support American-made knives that help you break down your animal in the backcountry. NUMA Outdoors. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your clothing. NUMA has base layers, headwear, jackets, mid layers, outer, pants, shirts, and vests. Check out the Pursuit Pant, the Renegade, Quarter Zip, Pullover, the Palisade, Puffy, the Alpha Vertex Jacket, and the Sleek lineup of Base Layers, Base Haven, Quarter Zip, Pullover, as well as Base Haven Pants.
0: Undisputed. Undisputed. Undisputed.
1: We were gonna do a podcast with you today, uh, and we're gonna kind of go over your season um, best practices, maybe some questions, and just kind of hear from a guy who came to Elk Shape Camp, and then also how it went for you, and talk elk hunting. So, how's that sound?
2: Yeah, did- no, I yeah, I'm here to be a uh, here to be cut up by by an expert and tell me all the things that I did wrong, maybe a couple things I did right, and what to, <laughs> what to focus on for. Or at least uh, just maybe I, I, th- I think the biggest thing is just having more context as to ways to approach a situation versus having one play because you've seen it once type of thing. Right. So
1: definitely uh, give everybody a background on you, man. Uh, give us the, the rundown on what you got going on your day to day elk hunting background, family work, all that kind of stuff. Let's fill in the gaps before we get going.
2: Yeah. So I'm uh, turning 35 this year. This is my third year, or this was my third year elk hunting. I don't really count the first year because we really had no clue what we did. We sat, we basically sat in a tree stand, like kind of over a wallet for five days and um, did uh, did not enjoy that as much as kind of the, the more traditional method of running and gunning. But we've done that for two years. Um, was able to shoot a cow last year. Uh, so kind of came back successful this year, had some really good opportunities, just what didn't close the distance, but we're still very early on that learning curve. I hunt, uh, we've only hunted Colorado doing the over-the-counter stuff. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge bow hunting kind of junkie nut for, for, for whitetail. And then all the, I live in Wisconsin, I probably should have led with that. So all the, all the Wisconsin animals that we get to kind of run and chase over here and get out West once a year, um, have generally one and a half to two weeks booked for or budgeted for a trip out there um we've been to colorado thus far just because that's kind of what we know but we're now that we've kind of got some some miles under our tires in regards to how we're going to do things we we're we're looking at branching out into other kind of general units and then slowly building up points where we can the goal is to have like a have like a limited entry hunt every, I would say three to five years so we can kind of get away from some of the madness. And my hunting partner is my uncle who is, he's like low to mid fifties type of thing. So a little bit different in regards to our physical abilities, but we, but we kind of make it work from kind of dividing and conquering, um, out in the kind of out West and and stuff like that. But I've got, I've got three kids I work a full-time job. I'm a sales professional, um, do a lot of kind of, kind of fitness and kind of a jujitsu nut in the, in the off season type of thing. So kind of do a lot of different stuff, but elk hunting is very much consuming in regards to what I'm focused on or interested in throughout the off season of doing, doing e-scouting, looking at maps, annoying my neighbors with elk sounds and everything, all all that good stuff. So
1: I love it. Uh, so what's the ages of your kiddos, man?
2: (laughs) So we just um, so we just celebrated our our oldest just celebrated five. Uh, she turned five. My second is turning four in a uh, in a month and a half, and then we've got a seven month old.
1: Oh my gosh, that's quite the spread, bro.
2: Yep, yep, and it uh, it is no shortage of 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 chaos and and happiness and sadnesses <laughs> from, from everything, but yeah, it's um, yeah, no, we're, we're incredibly blessed to have uh, to have, to have the three and, and they're, and they're at a fun age and honestly really getting interested in hunting too. Like I'm, I'm taking them out to set trail cams and check and stuff like that. And they're developing an interest in that. I haven't sat with me yet, but um, they are slowly getting indoctrinated into this world. So. What part of Wisconsin are you in? So we're in the Northwest uh, kind of, we're about an hour and a half, or excuse me, what a half an hour due east of the Twin Cities in the kind of city of Hudson. Um, And so we were about two, I was about two hours north of where you had your camp in Lacrosse. Was that two years ago? Yeah, two years ago.
1: Yep, two years ago. And that was a damn good camp. I remember all you guys.
2: Yep. Yeah, that was, that was, that was sweet. I was not upset having to drive down and back two hours every single day to go and to go and do that and kind of get to just get it just get engulfed into that into that group and then honestly that that's my shop now like that's where I go down and kind of work with Anthony and, and all those guys down at the lacrosse archery shop to get my bows dialed in and answer questions and that was almost worth the price of admission there getting a getting a tech that I can
1: trust. <laughs> yeah. No, that Anthony Schmidt and his squad. That's one of the best archery shops I've ever been to. Been to quite a few archery shops now. Dude. Yeah. Dude's an operator world-class. So I feel good knowing that you, uh, I don't know. I just feel good about that. Uh, so then tell folks you maybe what you thought elk shape camp. And by the way, this is not an elk shape camp sales pitch. This is a, this is a, you telling folks what you thought elk shape camp was going to be and how it actually went, what your takeaways were. Yeah. So
2: for me, I was, I mean, not, not to kind of sound overconfident or cocky, but I was always pretty, um, confident in my archery ability, so to speak, in regards to kind of launch projectiles downrange and, and, and hit a target, but more the kind of the understanding how the bow works and and all that stuff. And just knowing how to actually get my bow set up. That was a huge takeaway, getting to just getting in touch with those, with, with those groups. Um, and then the fitness standpoint, I, I, I live a really active lifestyle. So that was something that I was not, I was, I was going to this to, to just accelerate the learning curve of the elk knowledge, be, be in a room with you, Jason. And then, cause I, it was just you two. And then, and then Bynum who, um, has a ton of knowledge drawn to type of thing, but the, to get that knowledge and be able to just, kind of be in the presence of, of that and kind of soak in as much as we can and then kind of learn how to learn, right? Like you learn, I kind of compared it to a, or kind of think about it all college. College does not teach you how to do a job. It teaches you how to learn how to do a job. And that's how I, that where it, like, I was able to kind of figure out where my time is going to be best spent from a, um, from like a knowledge prep standpoint from a shooting prep and, and, and like, and also be exposed. Like I was, I was not a, I had never done a CrossFit type of workout until, until that. And like, pardon my language, but Holy shit, that, that exposed me a little bit and then got me doing a lot of different things type of stuff. And then also just some of the shooting drills of, um, that, I mean, I'm used to shooting off of a, off of a steel platform in a tree stand and not on a, on a steep side slope with one foot on a rock and maybe a foot or a knee on the, on the Ridge or or whatever type of thing. So just thinking of all those different ways to properly prepare and to put yourself in the best position and kind of use the Mark Livesey model of just putting putting as many odd multipliers in your favor of um, to be able to to kind of go and execute.
1: OK, well, well said. I agree. Everybody's out, outcome from camp's a little different. It really depends on wh- where you're weak at. And we sniff that out pretty fast. Uh, If I remember correctly, I thought you were pretty fit, actually. Very athletic. Pretty good archery shot. Super dialed on your equipment. um, Pretty intense. Uh, Not that we attract anyone not intense, but occasionally we'll get somebody not intense. But just hyper-focused. Yeah. Not your average guy, uh, is what I would say. So I was very excited when I got a text, I think, or email from you. That uh, you got your cow in Colorado and uh, pretty, I remember it was in this, it was the year of the snowstorm and you got, I, I can just picture you next to your cow, good blood trail, good shot. Tell me about 2021.
2: Yeah, so 2021 was we went to, but we went back to the same area just because we had um, there was there's still a lot left to be kind of explored and and there was I mean we we had consistent there's elk there, right? And so it was it was one of those things where um, I I hear conflicting arguments sometimes and it depends on who you talk about of like going and seeing new places and kind of cutting your chops on those versus really understanding an area to kind of understand how elk maybe move through, through an area. And that's what we kind of elected to go do was go back to that same area. Um, And so that's what we did just with kind of different tactics and being able to, or I should say broader tactics. And um, so 2021 started out very challenging. I had an alternator on my truck go out just outside of Colorado Springs. So that shortened the trip by, uh, yeah, I had, I had 10 days budgeted to hunt. Um, And then I had the I had my alternator go out, which subtracted three days on the front end of three kind
1: of days.
2: Yeah, because they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then because the first alternator they put in was defective and they didn't realize that until like a day and a half or two days later. So I was kind of stuck with my um and thankfully, like, I mean, I was so blessed as to where I got stuck because I had a buddy lived a half an hour away that I just continued to stay at his house. Who like we went mountain biking. He had a fridge full of IPAs that I could drink in sorrow while I was waiting for my truck to yeah. get done. And then um so that so that shortened the trip up significantly. And then we had a last minute schedule change in the back end of a like a I had a memorial service I had to get back for um for like a uncle that had passed away back in 2020 that so like we, we had five days to hunt when I was supposed to have 10. So already it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get to work. And then, um, we purposely went out later in the season. We went kind of the, I think we started hunting. I was supposed to start hunting on the 15th, but I think I got out there on the 18th. And so we hunted those, those five days. So kind of the second or, or the third week of the season, so to speak, um, and there was, there was a decent amount of folks out there, but not, not more than there was the past two years, but every single person I feel like has gone to elk shape camps in regards to like, I was eight miles back one day and I ran into four different parties through various, um, through just through, through various techniques, whether physically or glassing them up or having them kind of respond to calls. So it was, it was, it was very pressured but we were getting into elk, um, which was interesting. And so why we also didn't really want to move. And I had four or I had two really, really good opportunities. And then one kind of like, kind of like you were, I was, I was in close with one, but I I would kind of, I don't really chalk it up as a, as a good opportunity yet. And then my uncle had a nice encounter with the big six randomly. So like we were, we were around them. Um, but just, there was only one where he was two steps away from, kind of meeting an arrow type of thing. And he just, he just didn't take it type of thing that was foiled up by another hunter. And then the other, the other good opportunity that I had was foiled up by a different hunter as well. So that's kind of a high level season as to what happened. It was, we're out there, it was incredibly, incredibly condensed and it needed to, um, or we were basically battle hunting with a lot of other hunters looking back on it. And hindsight, I maybe should have moved, um, after three or four days but we were still kind of getting into them on day four and five which made me want to stay so too so
1: yeah it's a tough call to to leave elk to go find elk but uh, are these elk really worth hunting are they huntable are they callable are they susceptible uh, do they have us figured out do we have them figured out another thing that you said was that I think a lot of guys coming out west think like okay I got a 10-day hunt coming up and then they fail to remember this thing called murphy's law which you will undoubtedly come into some sort of circumstance or scenario where man you're going to have your teeth kicked in and i mean it's literally i can't even name all the things that can go wrong cuz there's so many that we should almost just say like you like plan on something going wrong so for you it's an alternator that takes several days to diagnose uh, who knows if they have the part or if you can get like an actual OAM part or a third party, and then you got to put it on your card and get them like they got to do the labor, and hopefully that solves your issue. Uh, and then if you're hunting with guys like maybe you were, like okay, so now my 10 days, I got a 24 hour drive on the front end, back end, so I actually have eight days and my alternator takes a shit. So I actually have six days or five days and then we got to find a place to camp. And if there's elk there, you're the caller, I'm the shooter. Or uh, So if you add up the days that you're actually a shooter, given that your partner doesn't wound a bull and then you spend two days looking for a bull, you your 10 days is like literally you got two to three days of actually sh- being the shooter. That's not a lot of elk experience, man.
2: No, and that was something that, and that was something that was kind of, that was revealed to me when, when I was, when, when you were kind of going through that exact scenario in a, a couple of years ago at, at camp. And, and so the way that we hunt now is we, is, is we split up, we divide and conquer my uncle and I, just cause I'm, I'm able to put on a lot more miles than he is. Um, and, and I, and so we, we, we divide and conquer and then, when we, when we find something, the goal is like, all right, we've located them over here. Let's, let's team up and, 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 and do that. So we have, or just move in by yourself if you're, if you want to go do that. So we, so we limit that. And then also too, we drive out there separately just in case like someone trucks, someone's truck really, really takes a crap and it just doesn't work at all. Then we can still kind of get out in the woods and we're not one person's or two person season is not ruined by someone's truck just kind of taking a crap. So, but yeah, it's, it's been two. Yeah. Cause last year I had a, I had an issue with my bow that Anthony hooked me up um, three weeks before season to, to get me fixed, to go out there. Cause like my, my, my limb cracked randomly type of thing. So it's, it's been two years of Murphy's loss. So I'm getting used to him. I'm looking forward to a, a year where something goes. smooth.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you let me know when that happens. Cause I'm just looking back and I'm thinking about all this, all the shit that I've experienced just in the last two seasons alone. I had, a family dog died, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you're a dog person and that dog is, we've had it forever and it died unexpectedly. Uh, and, and my wife was just so sad and crying on the phone and there was nothing I could do. There's nothing I could say or do. And, uh, and then the other thing was, it seems like I keep running into some nonsense and, and hunting in public land. I'm pretty used to, I, I had the whole New Mexico thing, and then uh, the year before we had the guys, like seven, eight different trucks, using vehicles and running after elk and trying. Oh, just fiascos, and uh, I've seen I've seen my dad's bows blow up more than once in the backcountry. Uh, horses get colic, guys get into arguments. Uh, it's like basically you have to like go into elk season knowing something's going to go wrong. A truck's going to break down. You're going to get a flat, whatever it is. And then, so is elk hunting a test of positivity and, and mentality? Absolutely. So how did you stay positive, stay focused, stay sharp? Well,
2: I, I mean, I knew that I, I'm a, I like to think I'm a pretty optimistic guy. Um, I've got a reasonably strong faith. Type. And so, 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 I can lean on that a lot. And then also too, like, I mean, there's some, there's some stuff that, is just, that was just out of my control. Um, it's a different level of acceptance if it's something that I did from neglect or if it's just like, uh, like I cannot predict if an alternator is going to go out on a truck that has a hundred thousand miles on it. So it's just, it was, that was, that was part of it, but yeah, just, I mean, I've, I've, I just work to try to roll with the punches as best I can and then not have when I'm actually able to kind of get back out there, not still be pissed or sulking because I I missed out the last three days and just kind of go out there and get after it. And then, I mean, I mean, I mean one benefit that I knew I was like, I'm not going to need to conserve any energy because I've only got five days versus 10. So I can, we can get after it and put on 10 15 a day if we need to type of thing, which is what ended up happening. So.
1: Yeah. And that's a lot of miles Were you, um, staying camping like hunting out of your truck or did you end up spiking backpack like bivy hunting what was your go-to tactics with elk and hunting pressure yeah
2: so we had yeah so the area that we were in it was it's kind of an area where it it leads itself to to kind of spike camping or or kind of truck camping just the way that the kind of the the, like the topography and, and the timbers laid out and so what we did is we as we packed in the first night. I met my uncle in there because he had been in there for half a day already. I met I met him in there. Um, we found each other through our in reaches, and then and then we and then we spiked there for two. I think it was two days, and then we needed to go and restock on provisions because the like the plan was to kind of go in there for two days, knowing that it's just a three or four mile hike in, uh, but then you can save that in the mornings and the evenings by just being there versus having to burn like two hours on the front and back end of your hunts to get back to your truck. And so that's what we did. And then when we, when we came back out, we, we, we weren't finding anything, um, over, over there and where we were finding sign was actually kind of closer and easier just to kind of truck camp. So then we just went back to the kind of the kind of one of the trailheads, so to speak, and kind of camped there. And then, walked in every, every morning and walked out every night type of thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was up, I was up at four and kind of up at the, like the, I'll say the peaks, but the, I mean, elevation where I wanted to be at before, before daylight, just kind of bugling up, trying to locate stuff because it was so pressured. I, I wanted to be the first one up there and be, be in a position where someone else coming up could push something up to me versus me doing that to someone else. Um, but yeah, the elk were, they, there was one day where they were really fired up. Um, but other than that, they were, they were generally pretty quiet. And, um, the, there was the two, the, the two really good encounters I had was on that one day where they were vocal because I was able to locate two of them. And then one of them was, one of them was foiled by a different hunter, or at least this is what I'm assuming has happened. Cause I was, I was working them for, I was working a bull that had cows for five, 10 minutes. I was, I, I heard him, I, I moved into what I had guessed was 75 ish yards away. Cause I could hear him and his cows kind of mulling around and, and, and making noises. And then I, I pulled out the Joel Turner playbook and gave the bull calling cows bugle and it, started to interact with him. And then he ended up barking at me and I barked back and then there was nothing. And then I saw a hunter coming in from the upwind side. So Uh-oh. I'm guessing what happened is he, he heard what was going on, came in to see what was going on as well, thinking it was maybe two elk or just to to kind of get a shot at, at the bull I was working. And then he ended up spooking them. So that was the, that was the first, or that was one of them that I I kind of chalked that one up as just Kind of the joys of public land hunting, and and in like an unlimited unit for Colorado, where there's just a ton of people type of thing, because that's gonna that's gonna happen. But like, I mean, he wasn't super amped up about about the the bulls calling cows. So I don't know how many, I don't know if you use that tactic a lot, but like, if that's something that doesn't work initially, because that was my exp- expectation, so to speak, from hearing him hearing Joel speak from your other seminars. Um, that I've picked up from the, from the collective, but it's, it seems like, uh, if you're getting close enough and he's got cows and you give that to him, that's one of those things where generally it's, he's on a, he's on a line coming to get you type of thing. And am I interpreting that wrong?
1: Um, so Joel sells that really well. And I, and I, and I make fun of Joel to his face about that just so you know, and I'm like, Joel, the way you sell that is like, this is guaranteed to work, you know, every time. And if, for those that don't know, Joel's tactic is to not make cow sounds. Yep. Only calves. Yep. Only calves calls. He thinks that cow elk, the way he sells it is that cow elk are like other women and they're just real bitchy. They don't like other women. And so if you make a cow, the cows that are with the bull are not going to want him to go over there. And they certainly are not going to want to go over there. And then he makes the analogy that bulls are just little horny pedophiles that if you make calf calls, uh, they can't help themselves to come over and check out this 18 year old hot girl or whatever that is. And that may be true, but I certainly haven't experienced that very much. And then the bull calling cow sound, I need, do I have a bugle tube in my office? I should, I'd like to make it for folks is a very short anticlimactic bugle usually has kind of, um, Got a
2: buzz say, like a say. lip
1: ball at the end type of thing. When I make it, I just lip ball. I just lip. I go right into lip ball into a high note, and it's a very very short, like one third of a locator bugle. It's a very short, like I said, anticlimactic is the best word, and it's him talking to his cows. And you'll hear that if you've been in with elk before. And the premise of this strategy is to. You get him interested with the calf calls. Hopefully he answers. And then you're assuming that he doesn't know that there's a bull with the calf. And so you immediately call to the calf, not to the bull. And you don't ever call to the bull. You don't ever send the bull a challenge bugle. Yeah. And that will frustrate the herd bull and he will drop his guard and come in to, to investigate or what have you. And you, it does work. I just don't know if it works every time, um, but it sounds like you were in terrain topography that is timbered where they're binoculars spotting scopes watching the elk. That's not that's not a tactic that's viable. You have to vocalize to get them to come into your position. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, from the from all the areas that it's it's all heavily heavily timbered of um, kind of dark timber and then aspens kind of kind of woven throughout. There's not a lot of there's some open hillsides and if you wanted to glass them, you're basically choosing I'm going to glass this hillside which isn't that big and to and and I could be wrong, but like to me it just hasn't sounded like a like an efficient use of time of it's no different than me sitting over a wallow because I'm only looking at this hillside because that's all I can see. Everything else is everything else is timbered type of thing. So it's it's been the way that we've located them has been through vocalizations or going to areas that we think they should be. Or we know they've been in the past and looking for fresh sign, looking for fresh poop and kind of where they've been bedded, which which we found. But it was all all, all that stuff seemed to be not super fresh from from like the from the scat and everything like that. Um, just cause I, I think they get pushed around quite a bit from the different hunters, but, but yeah, that's, um, and one thing I didn't do with this specific opportunity is that I didn't give any calf sounds cause I located him and then shut up and then he kept talking to his cows. Um, and then I was able to get him really close just cause he, they, they were making noise and I didn't make any calf sounds. I just went straight to the, to the sound to try to call his cows to me from, cause that's how I understood that stood that, that vocalization and then. Obviously, the whether we needed more time or just it wasn't going to work, but that other hunter came in and changed the dynamic. Whether or not he ruined it, it's hard for me to say, but the dynamic has changed.
1: Yeah, so you didn't introduce a calf call. You heard him talking to his cows, so you were able to move in close without giving away – without showing your cards, which is like I'm on board with everything you're saying. And then once you got in tight, you introduced – a bull talking to his cows, correct?
2: Yep. Yep. And then, yeah. And so as soon as I hit him with that or hit the cows with that, he immediately kind of, it it's because I I was in close, he immediately kind of hammered on top of me. And then I let that sit for, I think three to five minutes, tried to as best I could, because you get excited and then kind of did the same thing, hit the, hit that bull calling cows bugle. Again, we did that dance, I would say for 10, 15 minutes, I think, where I had three or four of those and he just wasn't coming. And then I can't remember, honestly, if I shifted to actually challenging him on top of me and then and then the bark happened or if that was a um or if that was if, if that was something else. But the but yeah, we he he wasn't super aggressive in the response to that, to that bugle. So whether I wasn't doing it right, or it just wasn't the right thing for him that day before the the variables got changed from the other, from the other hunter coming in.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm not great at playing the elk vocalization game as of late. I just haven't been doing that tactic as much. I've been choosing to hunt areas where that's not necessary. Um, but I cut my teeth hunting country where that's your only option. And, um, and so one thing that you did was you, you found the elk, you got in tight with the elk, then you introduced a vocalization and, and, and fishing is probably one of the better analogies, which I don't fish, but you threw out a cast and it sounds like he didn't bite as hard and I would encourage you to be more chameleon like and then change to a new tactic, try raking only. Um, tr- try the calf call, try the cow call, try the herd gathering cow call. Like, uh, uh, there is a difference in, in the pitch and tone. Uh, you could try an, a buzzing estrus cow call, but cows talk a lot. They really do. If you, I learned that again, like this year, the way I hunted was not making vocalizations. I bubble hunt where I, I find the elk to bugle like you did. And I get in close and then I don't press it. I don't, I don't introduce sounds. I just try to get the wind right, and I try to shadow the herd. If we're in their bedroom, I I I may even take my boots off and put an extra pair of socks on, and just try to like still hunt my way into where I can see them and they can't see me, and then just hope the wind stays true and hunker down and wait for the bull to get up to rake, get up to scent check, get up to stretch, get up to feed. it's very challenging tactic, but I like bubble hunting. I learn a lot more about elk that way, but you, 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 you played a hand. It didn't work. It probably would have been better to maybe try the next vocalization. Or if, if it'd been me, I would try to even bubble hunt in that timber country a little bit and stay with the herd all day. And it's very hard to do. These are very challenging things to do on public land, especially when another hunter comes in, because if that wind, if that hunter came in from obviously his wind going to the bull and the bull barks and you know, you got the wind. Yeah. He barked at that hunter. He, he, something was up. And then you did the right thing by barking back, which is like an oftentimes an elk will bark at you and they don't have your wind. And you're like, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. No, not necessarily. He could be saying, Hey, show yourself, mister. Uh, and then you bark back and say, no, you show yourself and you can do that back and forth. And next thing you know, he's like, "Fine, I'm going to show myself, and then you get a shot." Do you think, if that hunter hadn't, unbeknownst to him, messed up your opportunity, do you think what would have been your next move? So I was, I was slowly,
2: because I got to the point where I, I kind of thought, like, like looking at Onyx, I was in a, because I, I never laid eyes on them, because I thought they were in this, this, this kind of park, and I was just outside of this, where for him to come and see me like kind of using the Chris Rowe window, right? Like he had to come in, like I was in a spot where he had to come to this, here's the hang up point. Any closer, he would have been able to spot me anywhere. So I purposely stayed back a little bit. So he had to at least get to a point where I could he could see me. And then, but like had this, had I had more time, I just would have kept on working my way up. Cause I mean, the wind was great. It was such a fantastic wind. That's why I knew that he didn't win me um, or very confident he didn't win me. But I, I mean, I would have kept working up and then likely would have, cause I called a, a big one in for my uncle last year, doing a lot of raking. So that's something that I was, that I, that I enjoyed doing. Um, but that's, yeah, kind of, I would have transitioned, I would say to more of a bull on bull communication versus trying to ignore him and do the talk to the hand and try to get him fired up by challenging and raking and doing all that stuff. But just kind of inching closer because my position was already given up, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and when you make a sound, they know where you're standing. Uh, We've talked about it on this podcast so many times, but I think people need to hear it. Like, they literally have sonar, they have radar, they have their own version of Onyx where they can literally drop a pin on a map where you're standing. They know where to go to see where you're standing. They know where to go to smell where you're standing, and they know... You, they just know that you're in their house. They, they've been there before. You haven't, uh, it's like coming into your living room. So what time of day was this? This was at, this was at like
2: nine, nine, ten o'clock. And so I was, I was pretty confident they had gotten to their spot, um, as to where they were going to kind of hang up for the day. Cause it was, I mean, the topography kind of suggested that it was a, an area that they would bed. It wasn't a steep slope. It was a nice kind of flat benchy area with a ton of feed and water very close by. Um, so it was, but yeah, it was kind of at, I think it was like nine, nine 30, 10 30 ish, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. So definitely. Definitely the first half of the day, but.
1: I think it's going to be tough to get that bull to take on and and pick a fight with him at that time of day. The cows aren't bedded yet; they're not settled in. They still have a viable. They're on their feet. If the bull is a puss, he he he's got the option to herd him up and to move him on because you are a threat, and he's a lover not a fighter, and he's not in the mindset to fight. And you're basically preying on his instinct to protect his right to breed. But you've got to understand the timing. I think if you've been, obviously this is hindsight, but one hour later, 90 minutes later, and he's not on his feet, she's not on her feet, none of them are. The sun's up a little higher. It's a little warmer. Thermals have set in, and you're above them, and you're in tight. And you kind of get him to pipe up or you start bugling to his cows. I've seen it go both ways, but the chances of those cows wanting to leave very little. The chances of the bull trying to get the cows up to leave, that's a little higher. But the chances of him being like, dude, no, this ain't no, no, you do not. I am going to see who you are. Chances go way up. So it's just a timing mechanism don't know if you really have that option when you got other hunters coming in and they can hear those same bugles that is the hardest situation you cannot control them man is it frustrating as ever when you've done everything right and a guy just they're not trying to but they just they're just trying to do what you're doing they just maybe haven't maybe they don't have an understanding of what the wind's doing or maybe it swirled for a second prevailing fighting against thermals and so yeah time midday madness picking a fight in the bedroom very viable for those listening, it's basically, you got to wait till after 11 AM, almost all the time to really make that thing work well for you, but don't get it twisted. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Got in tight, made my first, like maybe a soft cow call, the bull answers from his bed. And then I hit him with a bugle. And then I hear every elk get up and leave. I'm like, well, this isn't this isn't what they do on video with a YouTube and Primus videos I watch. No. So these are educated elk. These are highly educated elk and they know better. They've had people try the same thing. So you can give that a tactic, but if it doesn't work a few times, you either born and raise it and keep running the same play until you find a bull that does want to play midday madness, or you run my play and start bubble hunting and Either way, you just got to be able to adapt to the hunting pressure, but at least you're getting into elk, at least you're finding them in the backcountry in Colorado where you're right. It's as of right now, it's still unlimited over the count. Like they don't do what Idaho just did and say, okay, we have over the counter tags, but we're going to limit how many non-residents can go to each unit. They haven't done that yet but that day is probably coming, unfortunately. So um, how about you tell us hindsight, looking back at your 2021 season, give us a few things that you would have done different as a, you know, armchair quarterback to yourself. Um, The
2: biggest, so the biggest thing that I think we, that I think my uncle and I talked about when we did our, did kind of our postpartum debrief a few weeks after the season to kind of have a chance to reflect on it independently was, that I, I I mean I love I love e scouting. It's it's really fun because it feels like I'm hunting, so to speak, when I get to look at the different places to go. And so I had all these different spots that were scouted out, but I wasn't. I realized when I was out there, I was not prepared to actually get up and move because I wasn't fully. It wasn't like a, okay, here's the trailhead I'm going to. Here's the here's one of two areas to spike in. Like kind of having steps one, two, and three already picked out for a new hunt area versus here's a hunt area, so to speak. And so that wasn't something that I was I was prepared to do it, but I wasn't fully prepared to do it, type of thing, where if I if if I had the full 10 days, maybe we would have because I would have felt like the pressure wasn't on as much and type of thing. But that was the biggest thing that I think that I that I kind of came out with. Um, and then and then also too being more flexible from a hunting standpoint because my my uncle is a he's he's a very different hunter but he's he's incredibly skilled at like kind of still hunting and spot and stalking, which is also probably why he doesn't like to hunt with me sometimes during the day because I'm a little bit faster moving <laughs> through the through the timber. Yep. Um, and, and and less patient, but it works right because we kind of because we locate different animals and. Being able to transition to that or being willing to, I think, sit over. Because we found it wallows all over the place that looked like they were active. But I just, because it was the third week of September, I just kind of thought this is not a, an efficient way to to kind of sit for them, nor do I really want to type of thing. But again, the goal is to kill an elk, not to kill an elk by raking and bugling it in and making it seem like it's a Primo's video. It's to get an elk on the ground. So how that happens, I don't really care. But
1: to each their own, find your style. I personally try to learn everybody's style and integrate whatever is going to give me the best chance. Um, The most fun is when they're screaming their heads off, you're screaming your head off and, and it's going down and elk are coming in ready to fight. And they're, you know, they're very predictable and, and they're also very unpredictable. And it's usually when there's a hot cow, but how often is there truly a hot cow those days seem to be like from a guy who's hunted a lot of September days. You get like you get like 1 2 maybe 3 of those days and they're magical and there's elk everywhere and there's a bull on every like every nook and cranny. And then the rest of the time you're really trying to like almost manufacture a, a setup where you're going to kill them based on their curiosity or the fact that they're just horned up ready to try to take advantage of any opportunity to breed. Um, but the more calling I've done historically, the more satellite bulls, the more rag bulls I've called in than actual herd bulls straight up. And yeah. The- and that was,
2: um, shoot, uh, that was something too, that I, that I realized that I, I need to have a different option for, for not calling just because i I mean, there was a day that I, I called in or got responses from, I think three different guys just cause I could, you could, you could tell the three tone. What is it? The Terminator? I don't even know what that is,
1: but like the the Primo's Terminator three note, Doug Flutie. Yep.
2: Yep. Like you could, you could just tell, um, and it was three at three of those. And so being, having, just being in an area where it's either, or knowing how to hunt, hunt that area better where I can be silent and whether that's just, I don't know if that's just slinking through of, of kind of motoring up to these different points of interest where you think that they should be or kind of glassing or still hunting. Um, cause, cause that's how I killed the cow last year was kind of still hunting through the woods and glassing it up and then ended up stalking in close enough to get a shot. But I know that that's very different as to how it often happens. So, so to speak. So being prepared to be silent is something too, that I was not ready to do just cause I had a bugle tube and I wanted to use it.
1: Now, the more hunting I do the on public land, the more I like to be silent and let the elk do their thing and move in I love still hunting in productive areas, especially if I see them go into a timber patch. I can wait for the wind to pick up. I can wait for the prevailing to pick up. I can take boots off and put stocking feet on or, or double socks. And I can still hunt, take a step glass, especially if it's mature timber where I can see out to 100 plus yards. Uh, that's stuff that I'm still doing heavily. But there are times when you got to call. And you got to make vocalizations. And I do think a lot of Joel Turner stuff works. I think people need to remember that Joel is in a percentile that I can't even describe. As far as he sounds better sometimes than real elk, which is crazy, right? But like when I think of who's got the best elk calf sound, off you know, like artificial would be Joel. Who's got like his? He can glunk with his bugle tube, like with his voice. That would. yeah, that would call me in. That's that's incredible. He's got a bull calling cow bugle that's so realistic that many of us, myself included, we just don't sound as authentic as he does. So, to do his tactics proper, you got to remember you're 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 a step down at the very minimum to how good he sounds, how realistic. And I think he might even forget that sometimes when he's so convincing at teaching his, you know, his doctrine is that, hey, Joel, we all don't sound like you, bro. We're not a world call. Like he's a two time world calling champion, like beat out every big name that you can think of right now. He's beat them on the biggest stage. So and same with Dirk. Dirk Derm's chuckles and grunts are so damn good that nobody sounds as good as like nobody can make grunts and chuckles like Dirk Durham like nobody so these guys got a little unfair advantage but know the time of day know what the oak want to do and take advantage more of that versus just oh cool it's I, I got a bull to answer me I, I'm gonna move in it's 9 a.m. well what are they where they want to be would it make more sense to be patient and let the cows get settled in does that Mark Livesey odds multiplier. Does that, is that a multiplier go up? Absolutely. If you can get those cows to bed and then make your sound and be in tight. Yeah. You have a better chance of calling this herd bull in or even just raking close to him. Depends on his mood. It depends on like, when's the last time he got his ass kicked Who else is in the, who is he worried about? Like he's concerned about things like that. So now, man, these are great things to bring up. And honestly, you and I, I'm not coaching. We're just talking this through because I don't certainly know it all. And I'm constantly looking for new tactics to employ. And it all depends on the topography, the terrain, the hunting pressure and the elk's mood. And so there's a lot of variables, you know, Alex, this is not, this is not rocket science. This is definitely an art.
2: Well, I mean, at the end, I I, I forget, I and mean, probably everyone said it, but at the end, of, you can do everything right, but the elk are still going to do what they want to do, and they might not do what you, what they're supposed to do, so to speak, and that's that's elk hunting.
1: It is. So, what's your plan for next year? What are you going to do different? What are you going to do the same?
2: Um, I so I think we are. I think we're going to go somewhere new just because it's, it's been two years. I, I, I'm probably going to get bored walking up the same kind of drainages and going to the same benches to kind of look for stuff. So I think we're going to go somewhere new and I, I'm going to work to find somewhere whether re- regardless of what state that's going to be in, but where we have the option to, to kind of do the traditional kind of run and gun locate, whether it's kind of late night, early morning locating. Cause I, I did some of that as well. Uh, and also throughout throughout the day, but also employ some glassing tactics where I can actually we can try to locate bulls that maybe people don't know about yet, or tell them that hey we've just located the bull because we're talking type of thing. And so yeah. that's that's the that's that's the big thing is I want to have an opportunity to glass just because, um, and that will also help kind of preserve energy and calories and be able to to kind of go farther harder when I need to, um, if I need to type of thing. And then, um, this was the first year that we did kind of a spike, the spike aspect. And so there was a lot of, I'll say learning curve stuff. I mean, we, we had a pretty good camp weight, so to speak, in regards to what each of us was doing, but there's obviously some efficiencies that can be picked up from that. But, um, having, having, I think a more diverse unit that we were going to is, is the biggest thing that I think that I'm going to focus on heavily, um, next year for being able to have, have, have different options, like even within the same unit, but like where I can take an ATV and go over here in glass, um, versus having to only have the dark timber stuff to hunt on. So,
1: so how many points do you have in the States out West? What's your portfolio look like?
2: It's, it's pretty, uh, it, um, unlike um, Ben Stiller and meet the, and meet the parent or meet the Fockers. It is not strong to quite strong. It is, uh, it is, yeah. uh, the, I, I think I've got two in Colorado, two in Montana, like two in Wyoming. Cause I, I started doing this stuff a couple, like once I started elk hunting. Um, and so it's, it's, it's still pretty, pretty new. And, and, and I understand too, that I'm not going to get to hunt like certain units and just cause I'm not going to get to hunt them. And so I'm fine burning, at least I think that I'm fine at this point, burning two to five, two to three points just to get a, a limited entry hunt where I know there's going to be less people and I can have a, just a much better kind of ratio of elk herd to deal with and be able to kind of have a different experience every two, three years. So that's kind of the plan. Um, and so that's what we're building up to right now, how that's executed, I think will change over the next few years, but, um, but yeah, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana is, and then I think, I, I always get the two mixed up, but it's either, it's either Nevada or Utah that I have a point in as well. Um, but I mean, the big three, I would say. Um, and then we'll start to kind of do, once we get better at it or um, better understanding, it, start to do some of the, like they do Mexico draws and stuff like that, where it's it's a true lottery, where there's no points or the states that don't have points, I should say, you know?
1: Well, let's, let's kind of break that down because it is application season. So at the time of this recording tomorrow at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, Idaho will sell their over-the-counter tags with a limited number of, with a quota per zone. In Idaho, they, they don't go by units, they go by zones, and there's several zones. Some zones have two units, three units, six units. Uh, are you going to be hopping online trying to get an Idaho over-the-counter tag tomorrow?
2: No, no, just because it was just because it'll be too quick a notice for me, uh, for me and my hunting partner to be able to to do that. So that that'll be something that.
1: And that's honestly the biggest downfall to their new system is that you can't really plan hunts with other people now because you could log on and get right into the, uh, you know, to the system and your buddy could be in the queue for 10 hours. Once his turn comes up, he goes to try to buy the same zone as you and it's sold out. And so it's really Frustrating.
2: Why is a party or something like, like, you know,
1: oh. you're going in to buy. There's no, you're not even applying. You're just going in to buy and you can't go, well, I want to buy my buddy's tag too. Now that I'm logged in. No. So it's really unfortunate that they changed it to that. Now let's talk about, you said it, you know, two, to three years to get a limited entry tag. That's, that's not what you're getting. You're getting two to three years to get a general tag. So in Montana, it's probably going to take three points now to get a general tag tag or even a deer elk combo tag so you have two points in montana and so when montana's draw comes you'll be able to buy a preference point before the draw so you will actually go into montana with three this year yep you will probably draw especially if you like put in for for the general combo I don't know what it is, but I think they reward the combo even more. You'll be able to get your general combo, and then you'll have an oak tag that's good for six weeks of archery, six weeks of rifle. You might plan on hunting Montana or at least put on, at least on paper, Alex, so you might be able to start e-scouting away ahead of time. Yeah. Now, Wyoming, you have two points.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I put it in my spreadsheet, but yeah, I think I have two points there.
1: You're going to need to put in for their special, which there's nothing special about their special. It's still a general tag. It's the same 700 general tag. It's just $500 more, and it theoretically is supposed to put you at better odds. So if I wanted to draw Wyoming really, really bad and I had two points going into their draw, I would probably have to fork over the extra 500 bucks to try to really draw that, and there's still no guarantee.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: If you had three, I would say, yeah, you're probably okay to put in for the regular general. And the nice thing about Montana and Wyoming is that if you have a general tag, you can hunt any unit across the state that's a general unit. So you're not in a specific zone, like say Idaho or whatever. Very similar to your Colorado experience, where if you have an OTC tag, you can hunt any OTC unit across the state. Yep. Yep. So the problem with Colorado is when they cut over-the-counter tags or they make some otcs require a point now which they've done
2: yeah they've done that to some of the southwestern units i think
1: yeah your san juans man like all that stuff so now those guys can't get draw their tag well that's going to put more guys in the other units and so you got a lot of congestion in colorado but at least you're out hunting so Um, Nevada, you're just not going to draw unless you have a lot of points. I've drawn Nevada elk and it was double digit points and I'm still waiting to be able to put back in. It's like a seven year waiting period once you draw.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of those where I think I'm, I'm kind of, I'm buying it because it's, I mean, it's, I I don't want to say it's cheap, but it's, it's,
1: it's certainly not cheap. Their tag, their license is over $200 and it's a $15 species application fee you're, you're over $200 every year just to build points in Nevada.
2: Yeah. And, or, um, but, but like, that's, that's one of those where it's like, uh, okay, this is going to happen once in the life and it's going to be sweet, but it's, yep. it's, that's, that, that's one of those tags type of thing is it's.
1: And you're going to have two or three grand into that tag before you even buy their, well, at the time, the tags, their tags, 1200 bucks. Mm. Yeah. So you'll it'll be a four or five thousand dollar hunt. It better be a good unit. It better be a sellout type thing where you go down. I mean, Nevada's special. Now Utah, Utah's a tough state, man. Like um, because they don't they don't have a lot of non resident limited entry elk tags for you to draw. And the point spread on that bad boy's really big. Like I'm sitting here with fifteen points in Utah. Okay. But I'm about a year or two behind the eight ball where I got a bunch of guys in front of me with one one more point. I need them to draw. I need them to die. Just joking. But I need them to out of the way. And I got a law I got if I'd gotten into the game a two years before, I'd probably be drawing just about any limited entry unit that I wanted. And Utah's got big bulls, man. They they're just real stingy with their non resident tags, and rightfully so. But One thing to keep an eye on for Utah is they have great over-the-counter, cheapest over-the-counter elk tag for a non-resident, and they got some stuff in there that's really good. I'm not going to say where to go. I would offline, but there's some opportunity in there, and they're already looking at making changes to limit the free-for-all over there. Uh, including with residents. And so there are proposing changes. We'll have to keep an eye on Utah, especially for those that go over the counter, but not a lot of people go to OTC Utah non-res and it's a viable option, um, especially in certain parts of Utah. Uh, So I wouldn't take that off your radar. There could potentially be even better OTC in certain spots in Utah than there is in Colorado, which is crazy to say, but it's purely based on congestion, topography, and you better be in shape. Yeah. So what's your plans for uh, any other states? We kind of covered Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada. You you said New Mexico, you're not putting in Baku e-bikes. These guys provide awesome e-bikes for the mountains. I use them out West, specifically logging roads. They have more torque than any other e-bike competitor. They're built for hunters by hunters. They're an awesome brand to work with out of Salt Lake City. Check them out at Baku.com. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my hunting gear. I have a discount code that I use myself. It is Elkshape. It takes 10% off. Their shipping is fast and free. Their selection is vast and deep. Go to BlackOvis.com. Check out their full lineup of clothing, footwear, optics, archery, arrows, camping, and all the brands. SpyPoint Trail Cameras, the world's number one cellular trail camera brand. Extremely affordable. My favorite is the Link Micro LTE, the smallest, best value camera dependable reliable go to spypoint.com and check out all their options when it comes to trail cameras and accessories kafaru international my good homeboy aaron snyder and frank the tank these guys are american made 100 i typically use the hoodlum the 22 mag or the striker xl in the backcountry the frame is second to none Head over to Kufaro International. Be sure to check out their packs, their frames, tents, shelters, sleeping systems, stoves, lots of accessories, as well as closeouts. You won't be disappointed. Matthews Archery. Introducing the all new V3X. You have a 29 and 33 option. These guys are out of Sparta, Wisconsin. Head over to MatthewsInc.com. Click the bow builder and start customizing your next awesome bow hunting rig crispy usa head over to crispyus.com peruse the vast selection of awesome boots for mountaineering backpacking and of course my favorite the colorado gtx for elk hunting there are also some good options for everyday wear like my daily driver the ativa mid gtx and then if you're into stocking like i am look no further than the laponia gtx check out the core boot lineup everything starts from the ground up on your next adventure choose wisely be sure to check out crispyus.com
2: no, we're not just because they don't my it and and honestly just talking about this is this is exactly what I need to be kind of focusing on for next season, actually figure this shit out a little bit more I think to have the more three, five, and ten year plan dialed in versus thinking about just only next September, but um it was my understanding that New Mexico doesn't do points it's just a it's a strict lottery, correct
1: which would make to me it would make sense that it is an absolute must apply since. There's no reward for for points. You have as good a chance as me who's been putting in. I drew New Mexico 2006, killed a bull 2007, killed a bowl. Haven't drawn since, but I've put in every year since then. So starting this year, you should put in and maybe you'll draw. And the reward for you is that you haven't been putting in it for as many years as me, but we have the same chance of the, up to 6% of those tags are going to go to DIY non-residents with no bonus points. And it's super cheap to put in. I think you just have to buy your hunting license, which is less than a hundred bucks. And if you draw great, they'll charge you your tag fee, which is like six, 700 bucks. And you're going to New Mexico. New Mexico offers two options. You got the first through the 15th or I'm sorry, the first through the 14th and then you have the 15th through the 24th majority of the people put in for 15th through the 24th because they think that's better bugling. I'm here to tell you the first to the 14th just as good, if not better because the crowding is less. And I think, you know, they I think you can put up to three or four options. Careful cuz they'll ask you if you want to put in for a cow tag. You don't want to do that. Just put in like three good units. that draw your name, you're going to New Mexico. You're going to have a great experience. You can do some research on which units. It's pretty well known that anything Southwest, New Mexico, like Gila, is amazing. Anything around the Gila is amazing. But I'm here to tell you there's elk in every part of New Mexico. And it's a must-apply state because it doesn't have points.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good feedback. And and I've heard that before, but just haven't actually taken the action to go and do that and get... Get my get my uncle dialed in and on board with that as
1: well. So it's, and you guys can put in together. You know that's good stuff. Yeah. So then you know you don't run the risk of you drawing him not. You guys can put in your applications together separately, separate credit cards, but still be on the same ticket. And maybe you'll draw together. And I think it'll be a great experience and uh, bump your odds up a little by trying to get the first through the 14th and. Um, you can even contract an outfitter and be in the outfitter pool, give you a 4% more uh, chance, but you're going to have to pay the outfitter and you may not have to be with him the whole time, but you got to be with him at least for two days. Um, but that doesn't always work too. So, uh, I would put New Mexico on your radar. Um, what about training wise physically? Like how does you feel like you, you know, showed up to elk season this year? Would you change anything or run the same play? What are you looking at there?
2: Uh, physically, physically, I felt, physically, I felt good. Um, obviously you come home losing, losing a little bit of weight and a little achy and sore. Um, I had, I had, I had such a hard time getting a new set of boots cause everything was freaking sold out and I needed a new pair cause my other ones I had blown out. And, um, and so I got a great pair of, um, of, of, of boots, but just up in Wisconsin, the, the level of topography is, Different than than out than out west, and so I had a couple. Even I mean, I had put probably a hundred miles on these boots with with weight on them, like with with rocks and, and stuff like that, kind of going up and down hills. But wasn't doing enough sidehilling or kind of off trail work, and I had a couple souvenirs on my on my feet to 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 remember that with, so to speak. And so that's a big thing that I need to um, or that I will prioritize more of doing more of the kind of cross-country off-trail work around here which still not as good but it's but it's something it's better and then i mean no matter how good my legs feel going into it there there can always be more so kind of doing more more leg workouts more chads all that crappy stuff
1: so yeah just getting miles under your boots with load under your shoulders no substitute. I don't do a lot of backpack training. I've been pretty vocal about that, but I do do a lot of hunting year round. I mean, I hunt spring bear for five, six weeks and, uh, we do a lot of tack events and I do hike in, you know, I, I got a 40 pounds of salt on my back a lot and just keep it in my pack and, you know, mow the lawn with a backpack on, just get a backpack on you weekly plus backfill with some cross training. Good to go. I do think we got to talk about gear a little, uh, What was some home runs when it comes to new gear this year that worked well? And also while we're talking about gear and supply chain, I think this is the next year, 2022, that this might be the year you don't wait till July and August to load up on gear. uh, And that maybe you start being a little more intentional and sprinkling in some gear upgrades earlier in the year, just based on supply chain issues. But what was the gear, what was some home runs for you gear wise? So the, so, so one thing I added
2: this year and this, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called the, I think it's called the bow spider, but it's like, a um, so I I saw an ad on Facebook and I was like, that looks awesome. Cause I got my, my hands got just tired of carrying around a bow for four or five days and and then having it be in rack. So, so I got that and I put that on my hip, my hip pad on my, on my pack and was able to kind of keep the bow racked, but accessible And that was, that was such an MVP type of, type of play just to have not, um, not get fatigued carrying around my bow and having access to both hands. Cause I have that, um, I, I run that crossover stabilizer, so it's a telescoping one. So I can extend it to kind of keep the bow from rotating, kind of tuck it behind my tuck it behind my arm. And, and so that, that, that allows me to walk with both hands free using binos and not have to kind of worry about my bow sliding around or, or kind of rotating around. That was a, that was a great, that was a great piece of piece of gear. Um, I did the hammock camping this year, uh, in the back country, which I liked a lot and, but I need to find some lighter stuff. Um, yeah. just from a, cause I think my, it was one of those things where it wasn't that long of a, of a pack and I, and I more wanted to try it as an experiment. And, and I think my sleeping system was seven to nine pounds total. Um, part of it's cause I've, I've got a heavier bag, but um, the hammock worked f- phenomenal because it was, I was able to like, I didn't care how flat of a ground I was on or how rocky it was, so to speak. I just needed two trees that were, I don't know what, 15, 20 feet apart. Um, and then, and, uh, so that, I'm, I mean, the bow spider was the big thing. And then honestly, the InReach just for, just for my, just for my partner and I, cause we can, cause we can kind of text with a, I'll say a 30 to 60 minute delay as to what's going on and, and kind of keep in touch with each other. Um, cause I mean, there was a time that he got eyes on a, he got eyes on a big six by six and I was over, I was three miles away. And then I think 30 minutes later I was, or. 45 to an hour later, I was by him and we were kind of planning a setup type of thing to, to get in. And that was only possible because of an inreach. So,
1: yeah, the, the cool thing about what you're saying is these, these gear items may work for you, Alex, and they may not work for me. Like I personally will not use a hammock, tried them, not for me. Same with quilts. I'm too skinny. I can't stay warm with kilts. Yes. They, they save weight. Um, there's certain things I'm willing to save weight on, certain things I'm willing to just take it on the chin. It's a little heavier. Um, one thing I used this year that wasn't in, in reach, it's called Somewhere. And the Somewhere is like the Inreach, although it's bigger, it's bulkier. It's a satellite communicator. You can text to your significant other or your family or your partner, but you can send onX waypoints to it. So if you and I were hunting together,
2: Yeah, that's slick.
1: And you had one. I could send you Onyx points. Hey, there's a bull here. I got a bull bedded there and drop pins, which, you know, I think you can figure out a way to do that with an inReach, obviously. But uh, it's a lot like it's integrated into the Onyx app now. So there might be people switching over. I don't know their monthly plans because like I just got it for my Arizona hunt and I had to send it back. I didn't buy one. I just basically said, hey, guys, I want to try it. And I was impressed. It was good. I like the size of the InReach Mini better, to be honest with you. If they could make their unit a little smaller, but having the ability to send waypoints in the backcountry to your partner—that's actually comes in to play a lot more than I would have thought of. Um, what boost did you end up buying? So I got the I got the Lathrop
2: and Sons. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're kind yeah. of a um, so so I like them a lot. They're I mean they're phenomenal. I'm still. I'm still kind of breaking them in. They're definitely, they're definitely a heavier boot, which, which I don't mind. Um, I wanted, I didn't want the big 10 inch or like the, or the, or like the eight to 10 inch. I, I had a set of Loa's last year and two years ago that I, that I really enjoyed. It's just, they just, they weren't as durable for for kind of how I beat them up and for how much brush busting that I ended up doing out there. So I wanted a more something with kind of a rubber Rand. Um, yeah. And, yep. Um, and so I, I had such a phenomenal experience talking with those guys. Um, and, and, and so that's what I ended up getting really, really enjoyed them. We'll, we'll run them again for as long as they last, but that's what I ended up getting. Cause honestly, like, like crispy kind of track all the, I mean, all the, all the main brands were all sold out of like size 12 of, uh, of any boot that you might think about bringing out West cause everyone was trying to buy them. And this was back in like, I think June it was, or like, may and june it wasn't it wasn't like august and crap i need to get some boots it was like early early summer i was trying to get some stuff so i could get some miles underneath them and everything was sold out um mostly because of supply chain or factors being i mean a lot of these boots are made in italy and they had some severe shutdowns and uh different different tactics for navigating the last two years than than other countries have had and so that's that's what i think contributed to a lot of it but but yeah, I yeah, the Lathrop and Sons have been have been really good so far. Just a, they're just a, a, a bigger bulkier boot which I don't mind.
1: No, that's cool. Um I was going to ask you, are you still running the VXR?
2: Yes. Yep. Yep, so I've got that and then I've got the Verdicts as my as my backup and um do you remember, well, actually no, but but Jeremy Lopez? Yep. Love So I actually yeah. Yeah. So I actually bought a couple of accessories off of him because he, I, I think he got something new and he wanted to get all new stuff on it, but I got, um, I might run it this year, but, I, but, but I have the, cause I have the, I really like the fast eddy where I can run it as a four pin and then have that bottom pin be my, be my slider type of thing. But it kind of yeah, gets, yes. um, it kind of gets cran or cluttered so to speak in inside that, inside that rectical. Um, and so the one that I got from him was actually that two pin, uh, single post, which I really, really enjoy. So I'm going to, I'm going to run that a lot this winter, um, with kind of 3d leagues and stuff like that to, to kind of see, and, and, and I might make that switch, um, for, for hunting, but yeah, I don't, but, um, but yeah, no, the BXR has been, has been fun. And then I've got, I think I. I, I upped my weight this year. I was, I was shooting, I think it was like 545 grains with a 150 grain head of a cut on contact, cutthroat is what I have. Yep. But um, beep, I, I beefed up my arrow a little bit, um, but I've, I've got a I've got a big draw and I'm pulling a lot of weight, or I'm, I'm pulling the a decent amount of weight, so I can I can get away with having a heavier arrow. Cause I think my arrow length is 31 inches, but total, but so it's, it's a, it's it's a heavier setup that I can get away with.
1: Well, that's interesting. I mean, um, a guy, what's your draw length? 30. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to be spitting out plenty of energy momentum. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the sweet spot for you and minimizing, you know, Get the pin gap appropriate for elk hunting, where if you misjudge the yardage, which th- things do happen fast while elk hunting, that you're not paying a price and hitting top of the shoulder, no man's land, or missing or hitting the brisket, basically hitting an elk with a non-lethal shot because of the you know the trajectory is just out of control. Someone like me with a 27-inch draw length has to pay a lot more attention. doesn't matter how heavy a bow I'm pulling back. If I go really, really heavy, which what does that even mean? Um, Lincoln logs are awesome on elk, but they're also not when you... You know, a lot of times you just don't have an option to range, and my rule of thumb is to always range any animal I shoot, Um, and I'm pretty good about that. But things do happen when you party with the elk, Alex. Where can people find like find you on social? I know you're not huge, but uh, I know you're on Instagram, uh, and I think there could be people that want to reach out or like, dude, this guy's hardcore. I'd love to you know share ideas or training ideas or shooting. Um, Alex is just the real deal, guys. So is diehard as a Wisconsin elk hunter gets. This is the guy. What's your Instagram?
2: Yeah. So I'm not super big and I actually have to look it up right now. Cause I don't know my handle off the top of my head. Um, it is AM underscore outdoors 89. So yeah, if anybody's kind of local in the, in the Northwest Wisconsin area doing some, want to do some shoots or just kind of get a workout, get a ruck in that's yeah. Hit me up. It'd be fun.
1: Yeah. And and honestly, man, like you're just another guy who's loves elk hunting but has his life in a position to where elk hunting's not your number one priority. Faith, then family, maybe work, you know, fitness, and then elk hunting's I mean, it's down there, but it's still something that you're utilizing as leverage to, you know, make yourself better every day and that's what it's all about. So at the time of this recording, man, we're doing December Chub Challenge starts tomorrow, and uh, this podcast won't air till January sometime. But I'm just telling you, Matt, I'm so excited for the Chub Challenge. Hopefully, people take to it like last year. I kind of stumbled into it. I just like posted something on November 30th, 2020, and was like, uh, "Yeah, I'm doing the December Chub Challenge. Uh, here's how to enter. It's free, dude. It blew up. So we'll see how it goes this year. But I need you doing it, man
2: yeah no yeah last year it seemed like it escalated quickly from you just throwing some up in your gym to recruiting some some notable names to to help to help uh do the workouts from from cam Jocko and was it uh, mcdudley uh
1: so it was cool and i, I don't know if those guys are going to be involved this year or not i haven't got a hold of anybody it's been a interesting year but yeah i i think uh i think it'll be a good fun year to get people motivated get them training early show up in shape and uh Man, if everyone keeps training this hard, there's going to be more and more guys eight miles back. You're going to have to start hunting the front country with me, man.
2: Yeah, well, that's and that was one of those things too that I, I made a note on. I think day three of like you need to scout or or not be afraid to hunt a mile in because everyone's fricking walking past these elk. Because I, I mean, all the elk that we found is were within I would say two or three miles from the trailhead versus five to eight back, because that's where you feel like you want to be. But yeah, another another day, another conversation.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, man. Well, appreciate you coming on guys. Give Alex a follow or reach out to him. If you got anything you want to chat with him, hardcore guy, loves Jesus, great human being, hardworking, my kind of people. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing this one. Separations and the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.